This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated star trek books and comics show i'm christopher jones and with me once again as he always is although today he's in superman garb it's mr matthew rushing matthew are you the man of steel today well, Chris, um, I'd love to be. Uh, I just threw on my Superman t-shirt, though, after work because it was comfortable. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, so that uh, is an, a Superman t-shirt, not underoos that you've had since you were a kid. No, no, they're not. <laughs> Why would you ask such an awkward question, Chris? How dare you? Of course they're not my underoos from when I was six and that they still fit. That would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Matthew, we were talking and you told me that you have a big Star Trek event coming up. You're going to be going and actually seeing the TNG cast hosted by William Shatner. Yes, um, a bunch of the TNG cast are going to be at Dallas Comic Con. It's very exciting. Uh, We're going to have Brent Spiner, Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis, Michael Dorn, John DeLancey, um, LeVar Burton, uh, and then, of course, William Shatner hosting. It's going to be fantastic. Now, uh, for anybody who knows, I was heartbroken because Denise Crosby is going to be there. But we're not going to get Gates McFadden. Uh, she's not going to be at, at our Comic-Con. So I was crushed that uh, she is not going to be a part of the TNG reunion here in Dallas. Now, I assume that Chase Masterson will be part of that panel. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, she has a way of being a part of every single panel that right. anyone ever does about anything, even though she was never, ever on as an episode of The Next Generation. She is not actually on the guest list um, for for guests of, of uh, the, co- the the convention as well. So I'm a little disappointed with Chase Madison not coming to Dallas. What's up with that? I don't know. It's surprising to me, but having the TNG uh, cast so many of them there it's really cool um honestly this is actually a huge comic-con we're gonna have the tng cast uh, so much of them there and then the entire cast of firefly which i know a ton of people love that show mm-hmm. we're gonna have them here as well which um so it's a big comic-con for us uh a, f- a friend of mine talked me into going and, and then i saw the tng cast was going to be there and decided i, I couldn't pass up seeing uh so many of them at the same time yeah. with i mean obviously the great william shatner doing the hosting and i've seen bits and pieces of this from other comic uh cons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um in fact there was a great clip uh of them with a, a veteran uh from uh the recent wars in afghanistan right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was just amazing clip with them um 
and Shatner. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw that, Chris, but I mean, Shatner was almost in tears, ha- having a hard time keeping himself together, which usually he doesn't have that problem. So right. I, I think that yeah, this it was is going to be really cool. It was a great story. Well, speaking of ways that Star Trek is getting more exposure, and these are big stories, there's, of course, we've talked about on here that Seekers is coming out, Star Trek Seekers, the book series from David Mack, Dayton Ward, and Kevin Dilmore, which was inspired by Rob Caswell's covers that he did just as a personal project of the USS Sagittarius and the USS Endeavor. And Matthew, this story actually went mainstream this past week, didn't it, with some coverage in USA Today? Yeah, this was a crazy. I saw this get tweeted out um, all over the place in, in, in the Trek tweetosphere, as we should call it. Um, and it was USA Today that was doing a huge story on the fact that these covers are going to be done by a fan. And, you know, these had started out as a personal fan project from um, Rob Caswell really hearkening back to those famous James Blish covers that uh, had been done for the Star Trek logs so many years ago. And the Seekers books are going to have these covers. And so that means, Chris, it's back by popular demand, judging a book by its cover. Very soulful this week. Wow. Yeah, you know, I figured we'd do it uh, soulful and sweet. Yeah, we've had some requests for some new Judge a Book by its cover renditions from you. Yeah, and I've 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 felt bad. We just haven't really had the covers to talk about. But now we've got two covers for the price of one. Book one is really cool. It features the USS Sagittarius. And the second book features the USS Endeavor um, in these different covers. And Chris, uh, what do you think of this first cover? Uh, it, I don't, I don't know. I, I would have to say it's, uh, it's pretty epic actually. I think it's sufficiently exciting. Absolutely sufficiently exciting. I mean, you've got yeah. a Klingon bird of prey firing on the NCC 1894 USS Sagittarius as they apparently zip around in orbit of a ringed planet very interesting, a planet, a water world like Earth, yet it appears to have rings like Saturn around it. Uh, beautiful, kind of nebula-like textures in the background. I just think it's it's beautiful. It really is. It actually reminds me of the Baku planet a little bit. Ah, um, yeah, good point. And so it has that yeah. kind of look to it, the planet itself. I, again, you're right, completely and utterly sufficiently exciting. Well done. It is something that I think a lot of fans are going to want kind of his artwork on their walls because it just harkens back to that enjoyable experience of picking up one of those old James Blish novels and their fantastic covers. I, I really like this. I think it's it's fantastic. It's very, very nice. So the next cover, Chris, uh, you know, we've got Seekers 2. Um, now they do have titles now. and They've done a great job of kind of making those titles small and and off to the side or whatever. So it's really just about Seekers 1. They're down at the bottom. They're even beneath (laughs) the author names. So it is like, here's the big number. Here's who's writing it. And Oh, yeah, yeah, we did give them titles, booksellers. Exactly. So Seekers 2 has the Endeavor, the NCC 1895 on it. 
it has a Klingon battlecruiser following it. It looks like it's in the same area of space as the Sagittarius was because this does, planet looks the same. Yeah. Um, but then the cover is a completely different shade. It's got the, the, the golds and the kind of the tans and everything. Uh, whereas the other one was very blue and, and whatnot. Yeah. So another sufficiently exciting cover. It is. Now, I would say it's not as exciting as the first cover because the, the Klingon battlecruiser is not actually firing on the Endeavor. They're just in pursuit. So there's no phaser action going on here. But the, the cover is equally beautiful. So would you say that phaser action is is really the line, the demarcation line for exciting to sufficiently exciting? I think, yeah, that it is, it's a line that you do need to cross. I mean, Hot Pursuit is exciting, but Hot Pursuit accompanied by Weapons Fire is always a notch above. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. A, a scene in a movie where people are just running away from somebody and somebody's chasing them is exciting, but you add somebody shooting at you right. and chasing you at the same time. That's sufficiently exciting. So, Chris, now, I think we found the line. Right. And now if a giant green hand were to grab onto the saucer of the Endeavor here, that would kick it up another notch. Just like if people running down the street being fired upon were then grabbed by a giant green hand. Wow. I think we've come up with some great ideas. Uh, <laughs> I hope that uh, that Rob Caswell is listening because we've <laughs> yes. given him David Mack Dayton Ward and Kelvin Dillmore, some fantastic ideas for this. So um, cool thing is, is this is going to be dropping sooner than we think. I mean, before you know it, July 22nd is going to be here where um, Seekers 1 comes out, Second Nature. And then uh, Dayton Ward and Kevin Dillmore will follow that up the very next month in August on the 26th with Point of Divergence and Seekers 2. Um, we already know we're going to be getting more Seekers books because um, – um, they've, uh, Dayton has already allowed us to know that from his own blog and, and David Max talked about that as well. So this is just really exciting. Um, a whole new area of Star Trek, you know, kind of following up with what they did with Vanguard and yet going in a completely different direction so that it's just more fun. It's adventure. It's more standalone. Um, and it, it'll be great if you follow along, but it's also something you can just pick up and enjoy. So I'm really excited to see the series. Same here. I already pre-ordered actually this past week in iBooks. Just put the pre-order in that way when uh, July 22nd rolls around, it'll pop right there on my iPad and I can start reading right away. Well, Chris, the, the second thing and, and just a quick mention is that um, the, the new comic uh, in the New Vision series is out and uh this is the the first comic and in, in the long line of, apparently that's going to be happening with the the photo realistic comics that we've been seeing um and so i just wanted to, people to know that that's out we'll be talking about it next week but uh, go ahead and pick up your copy read through it and we'll talk about it next week yeah looking forward to seeing how that is and how it compares to the first one and what we think well, about it as an ongoing john Byrne series has now. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely doing some great work. I have seen some things over there on the Trek Collective, some some promo pictures, some preview pictures. Uh, he's doing a lot of good work, and 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 uh, if if the first comic is is any indication of where this is going, 
Um, I think he may have sold me. Now, I do have to mention that this one is more expensive. It's $7.99 for an issue. But I think they're longer, um, and they've got a lot more to them. And obviously, Byrne is putting in a ton of work here, so I think it's well worth the money. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's everything we have in news. Uh, Before we jump into our feature, Matthew, where we're going to be joined by Landrew, Drew Stewart from Standard Orbit, our TOS show, as well as Dan Gunther from Treklit Reviews to talk about Serpents Among the Ruins, one of the Lost Era books featuring Captain Harriman and Demora Sulu. We'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today, and that's Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere online. They have over 150,000 titles waiting for you right now, and they add hundreds of new titles every single week. And as we do every week, we would like to recommend a book for you to pick up, because as a Trek FM listener, we do have a special offer for you. You can get an audiobook of your choice absolutely free just for trying Audible. Now, they do have quite a lot of Star Trek books on there, and Matthew, unfortunately, they don't have the Lost Era books, like the one we're going to cover today, because that was from 2003. But they do have an interesting book that I read quite a few years ago called Star Trek The Lost Years by J.M. Dillard. And this is narrated by Leonard Nimoy and James Doohan. It's also enhanced with sound effects and has an original score, which is something they used to do with the Star Trek books a lot, bring them to life a little bit more. Now, Matthew, first of all, have you read this book? This is this is back from uh, the day in 1989, actually, when this was published. That is one of the books in that era, Chris, that I have not gotten a chance to, to read. I mean, it is a, a kind of a landmark book dealing with that whole time period between the five-year mission and getting into the motion picture. I know it's a popular book, and I really do need to get in there and read that. Yeah, well, Audible would be a great way for you to do that. And I, I know you run, don't you? Because I see you check I in do, on Twitter actually, all the time yes, with your Nike Plus app. So. So throw this on and listen to it while you're running. But here's what it's about for for everyone wondering how it bridges the gap. After the end of the Enterprise's five-year mission, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy struggle to establish new lives apart from one another and the starship. The newly promoted Admiral Kirk is placed in charge of a specially created Starfleet division and attempts to defuse a critical hostage situation. Mr. Spock who, in the midst of a teaching assignment on Vulcan, finds the one thing he least expected, and Dr. McCoy, whose unerring instinct for trouble lands him smack in the middle of an incident that could trigger an interstellar bloodbath. Do, do, you, do you see McCoy as a troublemaker, Matthew? I just see McCoy as being a part of trouble. Like, he doesn't make it, he just yeah. kind of ends up in just it. It's not really his fault. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So this is a this is a good book. I've like I said, I haven't read it in a very long time. I think I read it a, a few years after it came out. So um, I'm probably going to pick up the Audible version myself now. Give it a listen again. And if you'd like to do that as well, as I said, you can get it absolutely free just for trying Audible. As a Trek FM listener, the way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial. Choose The Lost Years or any other book that you want. 
and you get that for free. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep this book. But if you love reading and you love podcasts, I know you're going to love Audible. So go check it out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and the network. Well, Chris, we have something really fun in store for everyone. Uh, first, we have a couple of guests with us. One, we have Landrew from Standard Orbit with us. Landrew, say hello. Joy to you, friends. Good to have you back. That's how Landrew says hello, by the way. Joy to you, friends. Yes, it's not creepy yes. at all. That's um, No, right. No, it's There's completely normal. It's kind of like aloha. It can be used as, as a hello and a goodbye. That is true. And a threat. Yeah, exactly. Who knew? Can aloha be used as a threat? I don't know. I didn't but it ask should when be. I was in Hawaii. Hmm. Yeah, a serpent among Landrews. And next, uh, <laughs> we've got Dan with us again from Trek Lit Reviews. Dan, good to have you back. Hi, thanks. It's uh, really good to be here again. Welcome back, Dan. We're going to be talking about Serpents Among the Ruins tonight, which is the second book in our John Harriman series that we've been doing, working up to. David or George III's One Constant Star, which will be coming out quite soon. And excitingly enough, this is also written by David, and so it was really neat to get a chance to read this. And this is the story of the year 2311, which apparently, if you read the back of the book, is a year that is going to live in infamy. So forget December 7th. It's a mad incident, Matthew. I know, I'm getting there, Chris. You just interrupted me. It's, 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 a, it's a famous incident. I know, Matthew. but now I'm all ruined. They mention it at least once. I know. <laughs> I Okay. Well, we're going to be getting to that incident tonight, folks. And so, <laughs> first off, reading the book, um, we read, Chris, you and I did, Captain's Daughter, and uh, we talked about that. And so, everyone reading through this book, what did you guys think? I mean... We've seen Harriman a few times now in in literature. He's been in comics. Uh, what did you guys think about this book? Well, I, I really enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, it had a lot of nonstop action. Um, and like you say, the character of Harriman has really gotten some uh, kind of rehabilitation in the novels. So it was kind of really interesting to see a little bit more about this character who, you know, we have a pretty bad impression of uh, based on just his movie appearance. Um, and also just kind of that whole Lost Era series, getting a glimpse into a period that we don't know a lot about, minus a few references here and there in episodes, uh, is a really fun thing that the novels are able to do. Yeah, I, I picked up this book uh, years ago. I actually read it... Uh probably not long after it came out something about the lost era, which is, is why uh, Matt invited me is that uh, cause I, I like the idea of the lost era. I like the idea that there is this, this, this stretch of time where we don't have any stories. And I still think we don't have enough stories from this, you know, enterprise B and C time, or at least not that, that I'm aware of. Uh, and I, I really like, I, you end up really liking Harriman, and and David R. George has like the the seems to have the voice of him. Like I can hear all of the lines being spoken by Cameron from from Ferris Bueller. <laughs> 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 but it, it works really well for me. I, I like this book. Yeah, I like the Lost Era concept as well. And apart from what this does for Harriman. 
and makes him more of an actual person that you can identify with. I can definitely identify with some of the stuff that he's going through, especially with his father uh, in terms of a, a relationship with the parent and what happened after the end of the captain's daughter, Matthew, where he beamed at Black Jack into the bridge. Yes. And now apparently his dad has really not talked to him for the past 17 years. Uh, that stuff's great. I also like with the Lost Era that they go and pick out their untold stories, but they're not just randomly completely made up stories. They're actually taking key events that we know happened, but don't know anything about. So here we have the Tomad incident. We have an explanation of how the Treaty of Algeron came about, and we find out why the Romulans retreated from the political stage for so long as well. And also some explanation behind the why the Federation doesn't have cloaking technology. And this even follows up a bit on, you know, what happened after the Undiscovered Country, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I think that the the thing about this that I really loved is that, you know, after Star Trek VI, the universe is really rich. There's a lot that's happening there. I mean, the Federation and the Klingons are trying to figure out this relationship that they're going to have now with this peace treaty. Obviously, the Romulans are still involved with things. Um, you're, you're getting the rise of, of, uh, uh, a species like the Zenkathy, uh, starting to become more of a, a threat. Um, you always have the Tholians in there, the Gorn. I mean, all of these races in, in this area of space, and there's just a lot that could be told about this era. And so honestly, God, I mean, you know, we got captain's daughter and then you get this, which is like 17 years later. Man, why wouldn't we get more books about John Harriman? I, by the end of this book, I'm like really wanting a whole book series about this guy. He's fascinating. Um, to me, honestly, he's like a, you know, conglomeration of James Kirk and James Bond. I mean, he, he has all <laughs> those kind of characteristics. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, he has some, some things that, you know, you never saw in Kirk. Really this... He really wants to have, you know, like love life, family, all this kind of thing. So th this is just such a rich time period. And honestly, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but it made me kind of fall in love with my Enterprise B model a lot more than I have just because <laughs> this, sh you know. That explains those Instagrams we saw, Matthew, of you cradling the Enterprise B <laughs> as you yeah, were sleeping um, the other day. I don't know who took that picture. You better I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably one of my roommates. Um, <laughs> so good thing I'm moving. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it made me appreciate the Enterprise B itself, you know, and, and its crew, you know, Demora Sulu, all these characters. Um, it, it, it gave it a lot more weight and gravitas. So if anything, I think that's a really big plus for this book and hoping that that would happen going in. And I, I'm sensing that really all of us got that out of it as well. I don't think the B did much in, in the actual story. I mean, we, we get a lot of stories of the crew, but like the ship itself, you know, kind of observed uh, an experiment and then was escorted uh, to, to Algeron and then uh, got sabotaged on the way out. And that was really about it. Well, and it wasn't so much that, but it was just the fact that I felt like it had this really storied history. Like, 
you know, David just alludes to a lot of things that have happened to them in the past. And you get the feeling like that this ship and its crew have really taken on the mantle of the Enterprise, the Enterprise A, and brought it forward with with a lot of distinction like that when the enterprise carried on the right exactly Mm -hmm. so that when the enterprise b is retired and you get to see that it's going to be a big deal um and so i really like that one of the things that i noticed about this book because we're in the lost era we get this 23rd century climate which is a lot different from especially you know tng era uh, in a lot of ways politically it's a lot more cynical as a time period and so what did you guys uh, think about that? Dan, I know um, we had talked a little bit back and forth today just about that idea. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I like my Star Trek, you know, very idealistic. In the future, we're better than we have been. Um, so when stuff like this comes up, it's kind of, you kind of lament the fact that there's real world politics and this kind of under dirty underhanded stuff going on but at the same time it can make you know for a really really good story i mean as you guys know i'm a deep space nine fan and you know no series did that better than deep space nine so it's it's a give and take you don't want to make it too um politically rife with you know uh black ops and that kind of thing otherwise it starts to not really look like star trek but for this story and for this time period, it uh, especially coming off the tale of uh, Star Trek VI, it kind of fits. I, I I like the the post Star Trek VI universe. Also, I think that that uh, uh, Star Trek VI really did set up uh, this this great political climate of of the Klingons being not one not as powerful as as they once were and and needing right. help but not necessarily wanting the help. And I think this book really does take on, you know, cause, uh, as it were is still the, you know, the Klingon chancellor after like 20 odd years, which is an impressive feat. I don't think we've ever met that anybody else me. who's ran the empire for 20 years. Right. Well, Putin, I mean, <laughs> no, apart from that, I meant the Klingon uh, empire. Luckily, at least as far as I know, Azat Burr does not ride around Kronos topless on a horse like Putin does. But I was surprised as well that uh, she had been in power that long. And it was interesting because she really was thrust into that position just by events that happen in the undiscovered country. And you would never have expected her to stay in power for so long after that, especially when the people, the warrior class, really is not on board with her in terms of her policies towards yeah. the Federation and, and for the planet. She's just really good at defending herself, I guess. Which, yeah. I mean, there are scenes of her training to defend herself in the book, so. Well, I got the feeling, I mean, though, that... He thought about it. That in the story, in, in the Klingon Empire itself, so much of the empire has been decimated by what happened with Praxis that it's 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 a huge event. I mean, it, they they literally don't have food, and she has been able to supply the people, the masses, with what they need from the Federation and and its help. And it seems like honestly, you got I got more of a sense that the majority of people were behind her in the Klingon Empire. That there were some though in the political parties that were not. 
well, the warrior class because they right, but they I, want to actually take the fight to right. Um, but I I don't I don't even see it being as everybody in the warrior class. It's just there's still a select few who hold on to the old grudges um, and the old way of thinking. And so, well, I found it interesting that some people in the warrior class said that when when it was argued that why would the Federation give us assistance? If they were then planning to create this this um, metagenic weapon and wipe us out, and some of the warriors said that, well, the Klingons would, you know, we would help someone, give them food aid, give them support, build them back up, make them strong again, so that we then could defeat them and have an honorable victory. Yeah, they say that, but I don't think I've seen any Klingons portray that on screen. So I feel like, to me, again, that just seemed like them blowing a bunch of smoke about how honorable they are, but they'll take a victory yeah. pretty much any way they can get it. And they, they don't, they're not going to kill an unarmed person. Though. Well, no, no, but I'm just saying they're going to give them a weapon. Yeah. Right. And, and then they will bestow the gift of combat. Exactly. Them, like kind of like the, of like uh, darkness last week. Kind of like the, how the, how the predator movies should have ended the video where he's like, he will only kill you if you were carrying a weapon. So they all throw their weapons down. And the predator comes and just like tries to hand them back their guns. Come on, <laughs> it's not going to be fair. And you got to imagine after like you know seventeen or eighteen years of kind of being subservient or or at least in a weakened state, like those warriors that you know they're probably really itching for a good fight. Yeah, I think you're right on that. I'm and. Um, I think that's why they're, you know, they, they don't really care at this point who they go to war with, whether it's the Federation or the Romulans. They just want to go to war. Um, and so I think that's really interesting. And you can see, um, and obviously we're going to spoil this rotten. So at the very end, as it bore has been played by random guards. Yeah. I mean, he's been played. She's been played. Um, yeah. Random guard number 47. By- by uh no 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 his name was like garth <laughs> there were like four a's yeah. or something and uh i just thought that that was really interesting that by the end she's been maneuvered by gorak no yeah uh, no, right Gor- no karg karg yeah let's see karg was uh was making it look right. like gorak that, was going exactly. to try to kill her which and then it was him who wanted to take over and be chancellor. And I, I thought that was really interesting to see that interplay that, and I, I couldn't really figure out. And I feel like, uh, maybe David will follow up with this in one constant star, hopefully giving us a little bit of insight and in where this is going to go next. Um, because that's an interesting story within the Klingon empire, because what's that new chancellor going to do? Um, you know, Karg is, 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 what does he want? I mean, he actually helps make this treaty, and we know the Klingons stay friends with the Federation. But why kill Azad Bor? Then that was my question. Like, other than just to be in power, it's a good point, Matthew. We should remind everyone listening the reason why we talked about the captain's daughter last week, and we're talking about serpents among the ruins this week, is to catch everyone up for one constant star, which will be continuing the Harriman story. Yeah, so it should be interesting to see if if this does get picked up because it's it's an interesting story because like that was the one thing in the book that I was like, okay, I understand that. It, I mean, he he wants power. He's a Klingon. 
you know, he he wants to be in power, but what's his end game for the the empire? I mean, if if does he feel like he has a different way for the empire to be going than Azatbor did, or does he just really want to be chancellor? He he really wants that big cloak with all the medals on it. That's really <laughs> what he's after. Right. So yeah, yeah. Get some extra big shoulder pads, like a starfleet animal. After. Yeah. You know, that, that just, that reminds me because it sounds like a big belt, you know, like you'd win like a heavyweight champion belt. <laughs> I was, I was disappointed that there weren't more like cage fighting or wrestling scenes in this book because with a character called Iron Mike Paris, I was expecting something like that or maybe, you know, like Iron Chef cook-off type thing. And I didn't get either. <laughs> so I was disappointed. Yeah. In that. So instead of like the negotiations, you just have a big cage match. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if I'm disappointed or glad, but I'm used to, uh, I mean, I've not read many, uh, sci- much, much fiction novels recently, but I used to read a lot of Star Wars novels and every character in the Star Wars universe is related to another character. You know, every character in the prequels is the father or uncle to, to somebody else. I was kind of disappointed that Iron Mike Paris was not Tom Paris's great, great grandfather. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I when I saw the name, that's what I thought that he was going to be. And who knows? Maybe he is. We just haven't, you know, see. And and maybe it is in a book. I don't know. Actually, just or it, it could be. This could be a descendant of Mike Ditka who uh, changed his name to Paris. That is true. And therefore, true. Iron, Iron Mike Ditka. Mike, I can see yes, that. It would seems make very some likely. Sense, yeah. Stop, Maris. Sports ball. I guess nobody could see me raise my fist in solidarity with sports. <laughs> that, that makes great radio, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. I'm sorry. Well, um, it actually is. Okay, so uh, just so everybody knows, he is a member of the Paris family. He married Veronica, and he fathered two sons, Cole and Owen. So he's their great-great-grandfather. Oh. Okay, now, is that actually explained in the book? Uh, Does that come later? Is book. that just someone filling yeah, in the this blanks? Is, this is uh, just checking out memory beta. I thought everybody uh, should should be aware that we weren't complete idiots. We know how to use the internet. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they, they, luckily, they have made the connections for us because yeah. it, it makes sense um, to right. have them because in there. Right, because we're... Mm-hmm. When we first bring this up, we're talking about this story directly and what are our reactions when we see the name in this story. And and in this book, that is not explained. Right, There's it just is a not. character here. So no. someone has filled in the blanks afterwards. Yes. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. Uh, exactly. In the acknowledgments, he, he thanks Peter David for letting him use Blackjack and Michael yeah. Jan Friedman for letting him use Iron Mike Paris. Oh, okay. That so makes apparently sense. there's yeah. a, a, a Friedman book out there that, that that covers the the Paris lineage. Yeah, that makes the Parisian, sense. the Parisian lineage, the Parisian lineage. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll always have Paris. <laughs> wow, you just destroyed one of my favorite lines from my favorite movie ever. Uh, we'll always have Iron Mike <laughs> Paris. Oh God. All right, well let's let's move on to a subject that I think uh, we're all uh, dying to talk about because it's a big part of the book, and we've we've mentioned it already a little bit, but that is the character of Harriman, John Harriman, and um, I, I believe uh, it's 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 really interesting to see how far this guy has come. 
from the character we saw in the Generations, who just looks so helpless and hapless on the bridge, and yet in this book is so completely commanding. And the guy who's coming up with all of these amazing covert schemes to create what we get in the end, which is this piece. And he's not moping around anymore like he was in in The Captain's Daughter, where he's still moping around about the fact that he lost Kirk. This is about <laughs> 17 years later, right? So mm-hmm. here you can see that he's overcome that. And he's dealing with some issues here, but they're they're normal relationship or family issues that you would expect any character to be grappling with. So So he's definitely evolved a lot since the last time we saw him. Now, my issue is I, I didn't read The Captain's Daughter. And and I felt like the first time I read this book, uh, I, I was really, I felt like I was missing out on something because memory beta didn't exist when I first read it. So uh, there wasn't a way for me to look up characters. I just assumed that every single one of these characters is from another book that I didn't read and I'm missing out on something. So have I? Or, or like, is this is his girlfriend just new to this book? Um, I, I did gather that the captain's daughter is the one that's all about rescuing Sulu and beaming his dad off the bridge, which they cover a couple times. But like, are, are any of these other characters from Captain's Daughter? Um, actually, uh, the, the, girlfriend uh, is brand the his new. his girlfriend is new to the story. Uh, okay. you hadn't seen her in the captain's daughter. And so she was somebody that had been introduced here and will actually, um, still be alive in one of David R. George's later novels in the Typhon pack, Raise the Dawn. Wow. Which is pretty interesting. So I have a feeling that she knew Harriman during the captain's daughter and she told him, when you pull yourself together, give me a call. <laughs> right. Until then, I, I don't want to talk to you. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on with him. I I appreciated like you, Chris, that he's not doing any moping in that sense. Like he's. Yeah, I got really tired of that moping. Like every comic and every book that we've covered with Harriman has had that same recurring theme. So it was nice to see him actually being a captain. Mm -hmm. Well, and not even I mean, honestly, he's not just being a captain, but the guy's being a damn legend. I mean, he's creating for himself an entire identity, which is not in the shadow of his father. It's not in the shadow of somebody like Kirk. It's it's his mm-hmm. own person. And it's somebody that after you, I feel like you read this book, you have a complete and utter respect for who John Harriman is as a captain, as a captain of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you... I wonder if in the really universe like- they, they respected him like that, though, because... Uh, all of the missions that we hear where he's being such a badass are secret missions that no one can know about. <laughs> well, but so I'm wondering also, if, yeah. if they ever like had a Kirk versus Harriman debate, like the Kirk versus Picard debate. And if it was even a fair you fight, mean, you mean fans in the universe? <laughs> exactly. Fans, it, you know, of, <laughs> yes, they like, all get, we, we follow sports teams nowadays in the future after the fall of baseball. Uh, they, they follow the the captains of their starships. So at the six hundred two club, they're placing bets on who who which captain can kick the other captain's ass. Would Kirk or Harriman yeah. win in a fight? Exactly. Well, I really like that uh, 
they give him kind of this, you know, nearly two decades of backstory of commanding the Enterprise as well. Um, I think that puts him on this whole other level that we haven't really seen before. Um, he's not just Harriman, he's a veteran now, right? And uh, And I also really like that they give him kind of a recurring villain too that he has, you know, Kirk had the Klingons, Picard has the Borg and Tomalok and, you know, Harriman has uh, this Romulan admiral who's kind of been, he's been vexing his entire career, which I thought was a really great addition. Yeah. I thought it was, it was smart because um, it, it, it brings the, the, the story together, you know, it, it makes it feel more cohesive than it just kind of being somebody you, you, um, you introduce it, in the story for just the story's sake right at that time, but giving them history makes it mean a lot more throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that obviously he's been responsible for some deaths of people and this whole, I mean, it really is kind of like this, um, superhero journey that Harriman goes on, which is, you know, he gets to the end of the book and he has the struggle. Do I kill the guy who's killed people that I love? You know, and he's got the, phaser to his head and he can do it he can do it now you know um and he he makes the bigger choice which is nobody would ever have known you know like that that he killed him and yet he would know and it would change who he was he does leave him to die though on the tomed well he so he's not he also gives him he also gives him the choice too so that's true too I just thought it was really interesting to to see that point of view in him because they they I think David really does a great job of rehabilitating Harriman so that by the end of this book I'm like yeah, I just want more stories about this guy this guy's got a great this is a great character you know um, which you know you felt <laughs> you like we'd ever think that right yeah right. I mean after generations you wouldn't think you would but I mean. I couldn't believe that somebody would would uh, be given an, the Enterprise and not be good, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and not he be had worthy. Really done of it. Yeah, something. That's right. what was so weird about his appearance in Generations, right? You just felt like, why is this person put in charge of the Enterprise? B. It's just he had a bad day. I mean, you gotta, you can't be on your A game <laughs> all the time. And there's Kirk. I mean, like you're gonna stutter and not know what to do when Kirk is, you know not sitting in his chair, keeps standing up like he's going to take command. Is there something wrong with your chair, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, and it, as well, you get that, that resolution um, in, in the end of the story with his father. And, and man, I really like that, you know, Blackjack's just kind of an a-hole to the end. Um, they don't, yeah, he doesn't he do anything yeah. to redeem him. And I, I feel like sometimes, you know, when you're reading a book or whatever, and especially tie in literature, too many times you'll kind of wrap things in a bow, you know, and, and make things happy by the end. And, and yeah, that cliched, happy fairy tale. Exactly. Ending. And and that doesn't happen here, uh, in that way, you know, he, he, demoralized to him, tells him your father loved you and you're your father. I mean. Of course, she's not going to tell him, oh, yeah, your dad told me you were a disgrace. Uh, he was, you know, disappointed in you. Uh, you know, how terrible would that be to hear? So I just thought it was interesting. And, and we'll come back to the idea of lies a little bit later. But 
I liked that that didn't happen in the story. So, well, I mean, maybe she lied to him, but it's not completely a lie. They do have that conversation, and I think that I think she believes that Harriman does love his dad. Oh, definitely he won't admit mm-hmm. it. So it's not exactly just flat out lying. It's not like she knew that he despises Black Jack Harriman to the bitter end. Uh, so she's comforting him as well as as saying something that John Harriman, is he John Harriman Jr. or John Jason Harriman Jr.? What's his name? Yeah, his full like name that. there. He's the second. John right? Jacob Jingleheimer is... Harriman. <laughs> That's right. Jingleheimer Harriman. Yes. His name but is my name <laughs> Anyway, too. yeah. So she's, she's expressing something he can't express. So I didn't really see it as a flat out lie. Yeah, it, it was good. I, I really, I, I just liked it that we kind of got that resolution to that part of the story um, because it is something that's been hanging over his head for the longest time. And I think that um, it, it was nice too because it really gets to the end of that uh, end of the book where he goes to pursue what he wants in, in family. You know, he goes to pursue mm-hmm. uh, the girl of his dreams that that and finally make it happen. You know. Um, and he does it in a really unconventional way by giving up the captaincy of the Enterprise and, and giving it to Sulu, uh, another Sulu, who, right. who will be captain of the Enterprise. And uh, so you have two Sulus running around on Excelsior-class ships. And that's that's well, funny. Is, Jor- is, is Hikaru still captaining ships 20 years after Generations? I don't know. That's a good question, but it, it just did... I don't know why. Because you got to think about it. Dead. Twenty. It's we're twenty years after generations, right? Like uh, today, we're twenty years after the movie came out. Which is (laughs) which? Which TOS stuff tends to take place in the year that they came out, plus three hundred. So it would be it would be George Takei, his age now. Still captain. Well, I mean, he could. He could still be doing it. It's Star Trek. They've got better medical resources. What's great is that uh, because it takes place today, I can imagine. I've seen Alan Ruck recently uh, in in on TV, so I can imagine him at his current age playing Uh, this role now. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Like this is now is the time we need to make a Serpents Among the Ruins movie, and and it needs (laughs) to happen this year. That would be great. I'd love it. Uh, honestly, I think this would make a He's great like, film. We're not working on it right now, but it needs to happen this year. It's May 15th. As we record <laughs> this, everyone get the script going. Get the cameras rolling. Get the posters As designed. an aside, um, according to Memory Beta, Sulu remained captain of the Excelsior until at least 2320. So he's uh, apparently captain of the Excelsior for another nine years, according to some novel. Okay. Okay. So yeah, they are two Sulus running yeah. around as captains of Excelsior class vessels. One of the things that I, I I thought was interesting is that we do get, uh, as you said, Chris, the background of the Treaty of Alderaan uh, and, and the way the Klingons and the Federation kind of continue to strengthen their ties in the wake of Praxis, um, and the background for why the Romulans leave. And I I just want to talk about that briefly, just how. You know, the the Star Trek EU does a great job a lot of times of of telling us the stories that we don't get to see um, and, and in, in an exciting way. Um, 
And for for me, this was a neat thing to be able to finally uh, understand, you know, how does all this come together? And I really enjoyed it. So and, and, and just the, the fact that books do this in general. And I was really impressed that this was tying into, you know, the captain's daughter and some other books. You know, I mean, the authors didn't have to do that. Um, and yet right. they, they, they put it on themselves to do this. So I just think it, it especially at quality. this point in time yes. when this book came yep. out, because now it would be more common that they would do that. But like you said, they didn't certainly that at this point in time, didn't have to be doing that. Well, and then that, I think Chris, uh, and guys, I think that really leads to something else that was really interesting in, in this story because it, because of the time frame that it's in. We, we really get to see the struggle with those old prejudices. The Klingons, who, who still have those old prejudices against uh, the Federation. The Romulans, who do as well. Um, I think it's very interesting that Gel, the ambassador here for the Romulans, is actually going to play a major role later on in, in the Typhon Pact series. And she'll become the, uh, the Praetor of the Romulan Star Empire just huge and you can already see her views here which are much different than a lot of romulans she she's very uh even keeled as a romulan she doesn't really believe in the superiority of romulans she's she doesn't have that romulan chauvinism that they're so known for um and that we see play out in people like vrenak <laughs> it's a fake <laughs> <laughs> so um i just thought that was really interesting because i was surprised not to see that at all on the federation side um because i would have thought that there would have still been some people on the federation side especially with the klingons who would have felt kind of like a cartwright or kirk did in parts of of star trek six we don't deal with very many federation officers everyone that we deal with is part of this vast conspiracy to make it look like the romulans were going to attack the federation so uh, i think that because they were trying to convince the klingons to gang up with them uh, i imagine they tried to keep the the cartwrights and people far far away I'm sure that in the in the bowels of the bee, there were some people who still didn't like the Klingons, but I think everybody around Harriman uh, had been vetted to not have that incident specifically. Yeah, I imagine like you know an operation of this uh, importance, they would definitely try and do that. And also, I mean, it sometimes doesn't feel like it in the book, but it has been nearly twenty years as well. Um, you know, twenty years is kind of a long time sometimes memories are short i guess there'd be people with like family history and that kind of thing but i would imagine a lot of people would be pretty content with the status quo too yeah and i guess the the main thought was is you know we look at our world today there's still plenty of racist people who hold seriously ridiculous grudges against people of a different skin color or different mm, religion or whatever too, yeah. and um and that's not going away so I, I think you're right dan it has been 20 years in the story and yet you know in 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 the star trek time frame that's really small considering that the klingons have been antagonistic towards the federation since the beginning and so of the romulans 
you know, that obviously there's a lot more mistrust in this book from the Federation side towards the Romulans. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there are with the Klingons, but they're still very wary of the Klingons and what might happen there because, um, you know, Harriman's plan is contingent on the fact that Azatbor is still going to be in power when he enacts the plan. But if it's not, it could go very badly. So, I mean, they're they're well yeah, aware that true. not everybody there feels like that. So I just thought this is an interesting idea because old prejudices die hard. They really do, and I think that it, it was nice to at least see that in the book, that even after 20 years, everything's still not all like, oh, we're all best friends, we're going to put a Klingon on the Enterprise <laughs> bridge. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to no, find that sure. balance between Roddenberry's, uh, you know, utopia future and what actual people would do in particular situations. Right. And And I think this book does cover... Uh, both aspects pretty well when that leads i think to the last topic which is the needs of the many is the deception here justified and what i realized is that this book is basically the dark knight we're going to (laughs) base our peace on a lie and we're going to let people who yeah or the heroes be the villains and the villains be the heroes uh in the story uh really you know it's star trek the dark knight uh, which i thought was really interesting uh so christopher nolan really just had read david r george's book here liked the idea and completely <laughs> jacked it for the dark knight storyline but it i think that's interesting this happens like is this huge deception and and basing all of this piece on a on a lie you know it saves a lot of lies but yeah, it it also makes me worry what would happen if anybody really ever found out, especially quite soon, because lies have a way of, of coming out and unraveling everything. Yeah, I mean, the end of this novel, it, it really did leave me unsettled in a lot of ways um, because of the way they justify what they did. And, you know, you kind of get that Cisco moment, like, I can live with it, you know. I, I don't know, like... They, they basically made the Romulans look like they killed thousands of people. And I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. a lot of collective guilt to heap on, on someone that didn't actually do that. Uh, it's, it's a tough one to, uh, to stomach in a lot of ways. I, I just realized that, so all the people were people who died on secret missions that nobody knew about. Right. And, and. Right. That's a lot of secret missions. Yeah. I mean, That's we're talking like too, yeah. the, the, the prologue of the book, you know, we've got like six people on a secret mission on a planet. They would have had to have done that a thousand times in order to get enough people to do this cover up. That do they do that? Is that a Federation thing? They do that all the time. That's also worrying. Well, see, I think it is. I think that going all the way back even into the 22nd century as we see on Enterprise that there always has been this shadowy operations whether it's Section 31 or a predecessor to Section 31 that's always been conducting these missions behind the scenes. What I found interesting about about this and of course the there's no real connection here. This book was published in September of 2003. But just what we saw in Into Darkness with the vengeance and what was going on there with this experimental ship 
really reminded me of the, the USS universe in this book and all of its experimental technology. Of course, it reminded me of the Excelsior in the search for Spock, but it also reminded me of what we saw with the Vengeance, especially because there was this element here of this kind of behind the scenes secret project going on and the fact that there are all these people that go on these missions that no one knows about. What was interesting, though, is, and I I would have felt, I think, a little bit more like that if they had not had Harriman have the conversation with Gell and rope her into this and ask her to be a part of it. And the fact that she is well aware that Admiral Vokar is very much in favor of destroying the Federation at any cost. And that is most likely planning on doing it in in the first place. And that that she's willing to make that sacrifice for her people as well as the Federation and the Klingons. And so I, I appreciated that they they had Romulans be complicit in this plan as well. So that um, it, it wasn't just the Federation making this choice. Harriman asked her without her permission and her help it's not going to work. And so I, I thought that, that that really helped my my um, my feelings about the legitimacy of this plan and, and um, whether or not it was justified because uh, they had actually worked with Romulans inside their government to, to make this possible as well. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's a, it's a clandestine thing, but it's, it's, it's again, very James Bondian. And I thought it worked, and it, I, I felt comfortable enough with where they, they took it. Um, and obviously, this treaty is a, is a huge landmark in Star Trek history and stands for right. a very, very, very long time. So uh, history would say that, that they were justified, I think, as well, that the ends did justify the means at this point. And as they played out, no not a lot of people actually died in this you know there were very few people mm-hmm. who actually died because of this plan whereas a and war those were all killed. accidents exactly and this would have cost billions of lives if you had had a, a war between the federation the klingons and the, and the romulans i i almost find that you know the fact that the the treaty of aldron is kind of based around this incident almost made it a little bit worse for me uh, because this long-standing treaty that's been the benchmark of the peace between these two powers for, you know, a century was kind of built completely on a lie. I that just, I mean, I, I understand the saving lives and all of that sort of thing, but just something in the back of my head was like, oh man, all of those years of peace is, are, are all of those years of peace are built around this cover-up and eh, just kind of. I don't know. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Well, I'm with you, Dan, in that. I mean, I, gosh, to me, that was what I loved about the, the Dark Knight Rises is that the the lie gets overturned. Like, it, the lie is shown to, to be the worst thing to build a, a peace on. You you can't build a uh, peace really on, on lies. It has to be on the truth. Because once people find out the lie, it just gets worse. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you should say you can't build a lasting peace on lies. 
Right. Because, I mean, we see in our own world that there's a, there's a peace that, that may be built on lies, but eventually that peace will fall apart. And the same in Star Trek. This peace may, is built on lies, but it really isn't lasting because the, the Federation and the Romulans remain in conflict all the way through mm-hmm. you know, the TNG era, the novels that go beyond the TV series as well. Right, and and it's interesting that it's going to be Ambassador Cameron Moore who's going to be responsible for the reaching out of peace during the Typhon Pact series. That she's going to be the one who uh, has waited patiently to the fact that when she's going to become Praetor and um, she's wanting to, to have a lasting peace between her people finally and the Federation in a way that they've never had before and one that's based on trust and not lies. And I think that's very interesting and it makes for a really well-rounded character and a really well-rounded story to get there. So, well, I think uh, this is a good point to get some final thoughts from everyone and, and uh, uh, some ratings. And so, uh, Dan, what are your final thoughts? Uh, well, for the most part, um, you know, ethical and moral qualms kind of aside, um, I really, really did enjoy this book. Uh, this was one, um, like I recently reread it, but both times when I read it, I found myself kind of in the, in the wee hours of the night, you know, just one more chapter, just one more page. Uh, you know, the action kind of never really stops and you're always wondering what's coming next and what's happening next. Um, so I'm going to have to give this one a strong rating. It loses a little bit because of the, you know, kind of tainting of the Star Trek idealism that I, I love and that sort of thing. Uh, but for the most part, I really, really enjoyed this book and was very impressed with it. Um, so I'm going to have to give it, I'm going to say eight out of 10 isolytic subspace bursts. Nice. Wow. That's an explosive rating. Yeah. (laughs) Powerful, powerful stuff. What about you, Drew? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I reread this. Um, I remember buying it when it first came out and, uh, and liking it and keeping it around. Um, and reading it again, it's, it's a completely different treat because, you know, it's got the big twist at the end that everything, all the bad stuff that's happened is, hasn't really been bad stuff. It's okay. You know, there's, they've all got a plan. So reading it again, you, you get the, uh, uh, the knowledge kind of like watching any of those movies with a twist and you're like, Oh, I get it now. When they said this, they meant this. And there's a few moments of that in, in this book, which I appreciate. Um, I really like it. I like the era. I like the, the, the climate. Uh, I like, I don't know if I like what it has to say. Like I, I don't, I don't care for the, the peace built on a lie kind of idea, but peace at all costs. I can understand and uh it's 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 enjoyable and i i think i would give it a seven out of ten uh hyper warp drives excellent chris what about you yeah like like i said up front i i like stories like this that fill in these blanks and i think that david did a good job of pulling key elements that are interesting to star trek fans especially fans of the tos time period and and telling a, a compelling story 
that connects to them and, and builds them out. And as we discussed at length in the show today, does a lot for Harriman, which I appreciate because I never liked the character based on generations. But as we've been doing this show and we've we've covered him in so many different areas, I really like the way he's growing. One thing we didn't mention in here is that uh, there is an appearance by a young Elias Vaughn, who, of course, goes on to become Kira's first officer on Deep Space Nine in the novel relaunch. That was um, a nice little touch there to you know see some back history for him, even if it's just a mention there of him being on this covert mission, but uh, I enjoyed the book. I'm going to give it seven Triox injections, which I, I think is a good rating, although you do use Triox to protect yourself against radiation poisoning, don't you? <laughs> you do. You do. Um, but I still think it's I mean it as good. a good rating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I have to say that I really enjoyed this book. It was actually the first time that I'd read it, and so I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I didn't know where uh, things were going in the story, and so um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I kept wondering, you know, this idea is is Harriman uh, uh, going to be responsible for the death of thousands of people to bring peace? And I I loved how they flushed it out, and I I figured it out just before I was like, okay, who is this person? And then when I realized the the moment she realizes that people have been dead but been brought back to life, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. But it was good. It was really good. Even though I, I kind of figured that part out, it it still was a great plot device uh, and, and really well done. I think uh, David R. George really knocks this out of the park with this story. Um, and I can't wait now for One Constant Star because I just want myself some more Sulu. I want myself some more Harriman. And I want them doing awesome covert missions together. So... I'm really excited. I guess I would have to rate this. Oh, and this sounds like a bad rating, but it's a good one. I'm going to give this nine coups. Klingon nine coups. coups. <laughs> nine coups d'etats. Okay. Yeah. Nine Klingon coups. <laughs> yep. So. Okay. Ah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, coup, guys. Coup, triple coups. <laughs> exactly. Oh, triple coups. Yes. Well, guys. Andrew heard coup. <laughs> Not coup. We we can't spell things out for you here in the audience. Oh, oh god. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, and before you leave us, uh, Dan, tell us where everybody can find you online and where they can follow you. Okay. Well, uh, my book review blog uh, is just www.treklit.com. Easy to find. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, treklit at treklit reviews facebook.com slash treklitreviews and uh, you can see my reviews of new releases uh, they get republished on uh, trekcore.com as well awesome and drew what about you well they can find people can find me on twitter at 005 d-o-u-b-l-e-o-f-i-v-e and they can find me on standard orbit uh, here on trek fm where Mike and I talk about the original series and all of its characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C. <laughs> and you guys do cover movies, TOS era movies on there as well. So right. will you have a Harriman show coming up at any point? 
Well, I mean, we did the Generations crossover with Earl Grey, but we might we might talk Harriman in an episode. Yeah, I mean, it's just Harriman. Yeah, just Harriman. I feel like I need to ask to be on the Star Trek VI show, just because it's my favorite. So, All right. I'm asking right now. On the I will air, write it down. So everybody can hear it. <laughs> All right. If you do the show and Matthew's not on there, we're going to pull this audio clip out. That's right. No, no, That's no, right. No, no, I'm going to write it down right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. It was awesome to have you guys on. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to be back on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks. Well, Matthew, I'm glad that we had two people with us today. I'm, of course, glad that Dan was back with us and also that Landrew could join us because it's always great to have another TOS perspective when we talk about these TOS-era novels. Yeah, Chris, it was a lot of fun to have everybody here. And I think it's a great book to talk about. I I don't know if we necessarily stressed enough, but I think that this is a really good book. And if you haven't read it, you know, the great thing about The Lost Era is you don't have to have read everything else you can go in, you can pick up this book. Obviously, there's some things in there from the captain's daughter, but they do it a good enough job of kind of explaining those things to make it really yeah. work. And I just really enjoyed it. So uh, go out, get this book, enjoy it. It's it's great stuff, and I think you'll be really surprised by how you feel about Harriman by the time it's over. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, John Harriman isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. DC Fontana. The jeans and everybody saw what she could do, and they allowed her to transcend the role of secretary, much much as Peggy in Mad Men. Earl Grey. Saucer separation. And usually it's it's said very dramatically. The star drive section only? <laughs> what? Like they left half the ship? Where is it? Uh, the other half will come on Tuesday. Could it be in a pocket dimension? I don't even know. You left space stock without a saucer? The ready room. Hold on. Jerry Taylor wrote the book on Janeway. Literally, she wrote the book on Janeway and she reinforced that ideal and that history and even made mosaic canon because she could the orb i feel like that would be the arc of the first season would be what are the wormhole aliens are they aliens are they gods you know, are they, they smoke powers? monsters are they smoke monsters is that them around the corner there why is there a polar bear on the station <laughs> to the journey top five voyager action sequences of course, I want you to do your Kate Mulgrew impression of her last words in the episode. <laughs> Time's up. That has to be your best one yet. Oh, thank you. Warp 5. Romulans on Enterprise. I think even in Kirshara, the the Romulans might be thinking, like, we need to infiltrate the Vulcans. We need to bring them back to our side so we can nip this in the bud and make sure that this growing alliance doesn't happen. Commentary, Trek Stars. Nemetric Part 1, Trek. This is actually the one episode where I enjoy Neelix when he's being annoying. But then also, uh, he gets a little something-something with the Klingon ladies. (laughs) Melodic Treks. Because it is literally these two sips playing hide-and-seek in the nebula, but all the way through the music is is, is there, it's 
keeping you rooted to the, what's going on and it's just a major and integral part of what is going on on the screen. Literary Treks. Bones chooses a, about being either a healer or a Starfleet officer. And he chooses in this situation to be a Starfleet officer. And it kind of... not easily. No, 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 no. Easily no. Oh, no, no, not at all. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find our shows pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. On iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, BlackBerry. We're on Spreaker. We're also now on Swill, which is like the Pandora of podcasts. And you can stream from our website as well. Uh, Grab the RSS feed, throw it into your favorite podcatcher. Lots of ways for you to get our shows. Uh, We also have a new feed that's available in iTunes, Stitcher, and will soon be available in other places. That's the Trek FM Complete Master Feed. And that feed actually has every single episode of every show that we do as it comes out, along with some other special audio content that's only available in that feed. And Matthew, that that feed has been really popular. We're sitting at number two in the podcast rankings for TV and film all week right now on iTunes. So apparently people do like getting all of our shows in one package. Chris, I just got to say, I was really excited when I looked at iTunes the other day and I looked at podcasts and we were in the new and noteworthy section. We were number one spot there at new and noteworthy. So I just wanted to say thank you to all the fans for that. It means a lot to us that you're listening, that you're subscribing, that you're getting in there and getting our podcast. So thank you so much. Obviously, without you guys, we don't do this. And so I just want to say we appreciate it. Yeah, and also on that topic, Matthew, the new and noteworthy there, a big thanks to Apple as well for putting us there because uh, anything that appears in new and noteworthy, that stuff is actually handpicked by people there at Apple in the podcast section. So, so thanks for putting us there and helping us get our content out to everyone. I guess they just knew that we all use their products. I mean, we've got iPads, iPhones, uh, iMacs, That's right. you know. Uh, so Apple, thank you for running Trek FM. that's right (laughs) all right everyone well if you want to send us some feedback on today's show anything about seekers those covers those sufficiently exciting covers or anything about serpents among the ruins you can do that in a variety of ways you can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact there's a form there choose to send to a show and choose literary treks and that will come to both matthew and me by email you can also send us a voicemail through our website if you go to the show page for this episode in the left sidebar you'll see a large item that says send us voicemail click that all you need is your webcam's microphone you can record us a message and upload it to us right there from the page You can also go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums. And we're on Twitter under username trek.fm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And we also have a Google Plus community now. If you go and search communities for trek.fm, you'll find us there as well. Very easy to get to us. All right, Matthew, when you're not, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to get tickets to the next Iron Mike Paris match, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me at MattRushing02 on Twitter. Um, You can also find me doing The Orb with you, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. So if you enjoy uh, the talk we had here today, you'll also get some Elias Vaughn talk there on The Orb 
every once in a while we'll mention something we hear from the books um but uh we talk about deep space nine there so i'm i that's one of my favorite things to do because it's my favorite show so i just can't get enough deep space nine and obviously you can tell because i've talked about deep space nine a lot right now i've said deep space nine <laughs> quite a few times and so <laughs> that's right uh and you're gonna then... <laughs> try to get me to name this episode john harriman is not in ds9 but <laughs> no. he is in this novel exactly so, anyway. um and then of course you can find me on my own personal blog at 42 life in between dot wordpress dot com and now chris when you're not trying to find ways to uh ask demora sulu out on a date now that she's the captain of the enterprise b where can we find you yeah well the, f- the step one is i have to get transferred I have to get moved off the ship because I can't, you know, I can't date that's, the captain. That's so true. Although she could yeah. be a rule breaker like her father. So yeah, she could be. Yeah. She does have that streak in her, doesn't she? Yes, yeah, she does. Well, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. Then elsewhere on the network, besides doing the Orb with you, Matthew, you can find me on Warp 5, which is all about Enterprise, Continuing Mission, where I talk about fan films and interview the people who make those, Matterstream, where we talk about science, social issues, and creative, and interview people there as well. There's also The Ready Room, which I host with other hosts from all around the network. Matthew's on there sometimes, Landrew is on there sometimes, and we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. And then also this week we relaunched Hyper Channel, our Star Trek news show, as a very short audio show. Uh, Each day we bring you some of the top stories in the world of Star Trek, so you can find me on there as well. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. As a Trek of Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. So go check it out at audibletrial.com slash trekfm and pick up The Lost Years, which we talked about during news today, or any other book that you like, absolutely free. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that book but I know you're going to love Audible and you're going to want to stick with them. So go give it a try. AudibleTrial.com slash Trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Recording. 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 I've got wavy lines. Wavy line pants? Well, they're not really wavy. I wish they were. I wish it was more like a... Serpents among the pants. Serpents among the pants. Serpents among the pants. Yeah. Lots of hard S's and a P for pants. (laughs) Wow. Drew just played right into it. Lots of hard S's and a P. Yeah. For pants. That's... That's a pop filter. Yeah. Pop, 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 pop. You need a pop filter oh, for, for this the one. serpent. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> whoo, man. Because it'll pop out at you. You need a filter so it doesn't pop oh, out gosh. at you. Man, this is getting really, uh, getting really hairy here. So, <laughs> oh no. All right. Uh, all right. All right.